see that. Anyway, enough with the small talk. We're here to get into the Word of God, aren't we? So we're going to do that. If you've got your Bibles, uh, I'd encourage you, go ahead and open them to 1 Kings chapter 9. That'll pretty much be where we really begin. But before we get into everything, let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your great love that you love us with. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your only son to come and live as one of us, to be among us, to die for us, so that we might have a relationship and connection with you. God, we, we truly, we see next to your holiness and your goodness, we see our our unholiness, our unworthiness, but the fact that you've chosen anyway to call us friends and to reach out and bring us into your family. God, we're just humbled and we're thankful for that. And we thank you so much for this moment that we have right now. We thank you for an opportunity to grow closer to you. We thank you for an opportunity to hear from you, to hear your words spoken to us, spoken over us. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our ears to hear this morning. Open our hearts to receive what it is that you, you have to share with us. God, where there's correction that need, that's needed, I pray that our hearts would be open to that correction. Where there is encouragement that you want us to receive, I pray that our hearts would be ready and open to receive your encouragement. God, where there's direction, where there's insight, where there's whatever it is that you want to say, however you want to do it, God, open us up right now for that. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being the great teacher. As we read these words, we thank you that you would bring your revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as I said, uh, 1 Kings chapter 9, that will be the the first place where we really kind of get into the bulk of Scripture. But before we get to 1 Kings chapter 9, I do want to kind of set up where we have been, what we're talking about this morning to just kind of frame our message today. So we've been talking about being a city on a hill. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, he says that his followers, the people who he's speaking to, he says that you're the light of the world. And he says a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so we're taking these a few weeks here to talk about being God's church what it means to be Jesus followers, a group and a community of Jesus followers, not just as individuals, but as a body that's being knit and woven together by God's Spirit. What that means or what that looks like for us. And uh, Jesus said that his followers, that group of people that's knit and woven together, would be a city that's set on a hill. A city that people in all of the surrounding area can look to and see a community, can see a grouping of people who do things differently, who, who are, are set apart, set aside, that are special, that are something different, that brings light to the darkness around it, that brings an example to the people around them. And so that's what you and I are called to be, to live out, to be a city that's set on a hill. And so here in Boswell, Oklahoma, here in Choctaw County, or Brian, or wherever you're from. Right here, we're called to be a a city that's set on a hill to the people around us, to be a light to the world around us, the the people that we do work with, the people that we do business with, the people that we're in relationship with, that we're family with, that they would see something different in us, that they would look to us and see something that's drastically different. And Jesus goes on to say that they would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. That ultimately is the end goal, that people would see us, see a life that reflects Jesus and bring glory to God. Do we want to bring glory to God? We want to bring glory to the Father, right? That's what he designed us for. That's how he fashioned us, was to reflect his image in the world and thereby to bring glory to him, for people to see us and glorify the Father in heaven. So uh, that's kind of the, the lens that we're looking through. And we're talking now specifically about Victory Life Church. So, yes, God wants his entire church, every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord, every single body of believers to reflect his image in this world, to bring glory to his Father, to be that city on the hill. And so we're talking now for Victory Life Church, Victory Life Boswell, 
how we live that out, how we apply that, I guess you would say. And we have these six core values. We have six values that even at the founding of Victory Life Church, uh, it was decided that these are important principles for us to live out, to walk out with one another. And in doing so, we're going to be living out this call of Jesus to be a light in the world, to be something different, something that's set aside, set apart, that people can look to give glory to our Father in heaven. And so how we do that at Victory Life Church, we are committed to these values. They're written on the wall over here. So if you need some notes, then you've got it over here. Uh, Last week, we talked about being a generational church. Uh, And we looked at the story of Esther and Mordecai, two different generations having two completely different perspectives, but working together for God's purposes in the world, that he came to, he redeemed his people in a powerful way because of generational teamwork to see God do what he wants to do in this earth. So we talked about being a generational church and the importance of that. Generosity, uh, family, relationship, the word, these are all values. And this morning we're going to be talking specifically about integrity. Integrity as one of our, our church's values. And this is one of those things that I believe if we live out, if we are people of integrity, that speaks to God's goodness. That is a part of and a piece of being a city that's set on a hill. That's a part of being a light in this world. Because in this world, if you have paid any attention at all to politics, if you've paid any attention at all to entertainment, if you've paid any attention at all to re- really any of the things that are valued or are highlighted and glamorized in our culture, often integrity is not a very key part of the fabric that's woven together. Unfortunately, even if you look at church a lot of times, many people here, I know people have church baggage. Don't say amen necessarily, but you can amen in your heart a little bit. If you got baggage from church, there's a lot of people that really do. Uh, But a lot of times that comes because of a lack of integrity. That maybe God's gifted somebody. He, you know, God's gifts and his callings, the word says, are without repentance. God distributes gifts freely, and, and he uses people. He uses people in powerful, mighty ways that sometimes do not exhibit integrity. And that's unfortunate in that someone could see someone who's really used of God, who has spoken words of God, who's prophesied, who's said things, done things that are like, man, God is using you. This is powerful. But at some point in time, due to a lack of integrity, maybe has gone off the deep end, turned away from the faith, messed up with the secretary, whatever. You, you could come up with an example in your mind, but because of a lack of integrity, uh, could really come against what God's done in somebody's life. And it's unfortunate that becomes a stumbling block and a roadblock to people. Even taking it down to a smaller level, uh, just Christians who are hypocrites, Anybody here ever uh, been one of the, don't raise your hand, I guess, but have you ever been one of those people that are out just kind of, you know, living the way that you want to live, doing your own thing, whatever, and you look at church and you say, I don't want to be like those people because they're hypocrites. Has a hypocrite ever gotten in the way of you and God? Don't raise your hand. Pastor Dwayne Sheriff, the, the founding pastor here at Victory Life, he always said this really well, and I've appreciated this, that if a hypocrite is standing between you and God, then the hypocrite's closer to God than you are. Because <laughs> if they're standing in the, between you and God, then naturally they're closer. That's unfortunate. But honestly, and a lot of people, I think, for, out of a good heart and for good reason, would say, oh, well, why, why would I want to be like this? Why would I want to be like a Christian who goes to church, says one thing, does one thing, espouses all these beliefs while they're in a nice, pretty building like this, and then every other day of the week are just living just like everybody else? Why not save my time on Sunday mornings and just keep doing whatever I want? So many times people let a a hypocrite get in the way of them. And God, that's not right. But it's also not right to be a hypocrite. Am I right? Jesus, whenever he came against people, Jesus, he had some really harsh things to say sometimes. Talked about people being whitewashed graves full of dead men's bones. He said that about someone. Called people snakes. Threw over... Uh, you know, tables in the temple. All these times that you see Jesus get really angry, a lot of times it's with hypocrisy. It's with a lack of integrity. It's with someone's life, what they are doing and living out, not matching up with what they say and what they believe. 
So Jesus really cares about this. And so all that to say, integrity is important. And we're going to get into this uh, this morning. I want to give you, before we get into everything, I want to give you a really profound, difficult to grasp definition of integrity. This is something I threw together. Get ready, put your thinking caps on, because this is going to blow your mind. A working definition of integrity, doing the right thing when it is hard. Think about it for a second, okay? I know that's going to take a while, but you came here to think. This, I, I think, is just a starting place for us. Just simply doing the right thing whenever it is difficult to do the right thing. That's a value that we as a church are committed to, and we're going to stay committed to, that we're going to, to simply do the right thing. You know, God has created us with a, a conscience. He's, he's put that in our minds that we intuitively kind of know generally, like, okay, this is right, this is wrong. Honestly, in the culture that we live in, sometimes that gets harder and harder. But God, especially if we've called on Jesus, he's given his spirit to us that is a, a great advisor, that is a spirit of wisdom that helps us along the way, that teaches us, shows us right and wrong, points us towards the truth. And so integrity is simply yielding to that voice of, of truth, of doing what's right, even whenever it's a difficult thing, even whenever it costs you something. Uh, because sometimes it's, it's not easy. Sometimes it costs us. And so th- that, of course, is my definition. I think a better thing to do would be to go to Scripture. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, okay. So that's my definition, but a better thing is to go into Scripture and see, okay, this word integrity in the Bible, how is it used? How is it defined? Where does it show up? And so if you're one of those cool Bible scholars that has uh, um, a concordance or something like that, this word that's translated to uh, integrity most often is the Hebrew word H8537. If that means anything to you, you can write that down and go check it out. But uh, it's the Hebrew, Hebrew word, I'm going to call it tome, uh, that is often translated, of course, to integrity. But there's also completeness, perfection, simplicity. Uh, sometimes it's translated as a clear conscience. And what this leads me to is even to think about the words like structural integrity. Whenever I think about this also being translated as completeness, perfection, simplicity, soundness uh, a lot of times. And so it, it automatically triggered in my mind structural integrity. Whenever I hear the word integrity, I go to structural integrity. Anybody else? Or maybe that's just me. Okay, that's just me. That's fine. So I brought that definition as well. Uh, and before I even read this, my wife has encouraged me to share a little bit of an example for myself. I've gotten into recently trying to build things with wood. Thank you, Pastor Connor. Pastor Connor's been into building things with wood for a long time now, and he does really cool stuff. He's made a table. Sorry for the aside. He's made a table that is shaped like the Millennium Falcon. If you're a Star Wars fan, then you know what I'm talking about. Literally, he made a coffee table out of wood that looks like the Millennium Falcon, and it stands perfectly, it's balanced, it's beautiful, it's like, uh, just awesome. So Pastor Connor's been doing it for a while, and it's great, like it just, everything works. I have been doing this for a short time, and I've been working, thankfully, with tools that my wife has been so gracious to buy me on different, you know, Father's Day, anniversary, whatever. And so I've started out my woodworking journey with a... Um, a five and a half inch blade handsaw, just a little circular saw, five and a half inch blade, really tiny. I want to blame it all on the blade. It's not all the blade's fault. Uh, But I've built some things that, um, you know, are technically doing their job right now. They're working, they're, they're doing it, but there's all kinds of different imperfections. There's a little bit of a gap here. There's, when you lean it on the wall, it's kind of, you know, one leg touches, the other one doesn't, that kind of thing. I would say that the structural integrity, it technically, you know, I've built a shelf. I've built one of those leaning, uh, you know, stair shelves. Technically, it's doing its job. It's, it's working. But I would say that the structural integrity, I don't know, I, I don't know yet if it's going to stand the test of time. I don't know yet if it's going to be around with us for the next however many years. Maybe not. I'm enjoying it for what it is now, but it might not be here for the long haul. Now, again, so structural integrity, 
We're going to read the definition here in a second. I, I believe it applies. But again, integrity has implications for the rest of these things. Being a generational church. If we're, if we're wanting to build something that's here for the long haul, that is going to be passed down to our kids and our grandkids and that the next generation can uh, benefit from, then we got to have this integrity piece right. Because there have been so many moves of God, so many people who have been used that could be like this really big, bright, flash in the pan, but don't necessarily have the integrity to sustain long term. Similar to my bookshelf or my little counter shelf that I made. Structural integrity, this is what the internet told me. The internet doesn't lie. Is the ability of a structure to withstand its intended loading without failing due to fracture, deformation, or fatigue. I'm going to read that again. The structural integrity is the ability of a structure to withstand its intended loading without failing due to fracture, deformation, or fatigue. So here's where I think that that helps me to understand integrity a little bit more whenever I try to apply it to myself. So for a structure, integrity looks like the ability to do what it was created to do, to fulfill its intended set-aside purpose uh, without failing, without collapsing, without being broken up due to uh, fatigue, due to deformation, or due to fracture. That any of those things won't mess up whatever it was created for. So I want to say this, Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us that you and I are God's workmanship. We're God's masterpieces. Some translations say we are this, you know, similar to my little shelf that I've built. We are something that has been diligently crafted by the Most High God. We've been created for specific purposes. And structural integrity for us is that ability to continue to work in, to operate in, to continue in that thing that God created and designed us for without breaking, without collapsing due to deformation, due to fracture, due to fatigue, due to any of these things in life. Uh, all through Scripture, especially in the New Testament, you'll see encouragements to continue steadfastly in the faith, knowing that persecution is going to come, knowing that time and the, the cares of life and worries, all these things can try to come against us to, to bring down what God's created and designed us to do. The, going back to Ephesians 2.10, it says that we're His workmanship, we're His masterpieces created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has created you for good works. God's created you to bring glory to Him. He's created you for good things, good purposes. And yes, He's created you for that. What kind of integrity can we cultivate in our lives to continue in those good works that He's created us for? So that fracturing, I know that this is a structural definition, but fracturing, y'all, how many have been through broken relationships? You don't have to raise your hand, but I know everybody. Been through some kind of broken relationship, some kind of fracture in life, some kind of impactful, really big moment that has just broken you. Anybody ever felt broken, fractured? Or deformation. Deformation refers to this changing of shape of something over time and pressure. Anybody ever felt pressure in your life? Pressure comes in this life. Some seasons more than others, but if you're living in this life, you feel pressure. You feel that pressing sometimes. Or fatigue. How many of you just been in the game so long that, man, I feel like I've been doing this forever. I've, I've been trying to live right for so long, I'm getting tired of it. I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling worn down. Well, these things, fracture, deformation, fatigue, of course, they can come against anybody and they're going to come. Jesus said, in this life, you will have troubles. Take heart, I've overcome the world. These things do happen to us. But we, you and I, we need to be people of integrity that this thing that God wants to build in us, these good works that he wants to bring out of us, his masterpieces, his workmanship, uh, that, that they can continue to come out even after the fractures of life, after the pressures of life, after the fatigue of life. What do we have left? Uh, so integrity is so important, so important. So uh, I told you to go to 1 Kings chapter 9, and I'm finally going to get there here. Uh, because I want to look at an example. Last week we got to look at Esther and Mordecai, and so I was going in my brain, okay, what's an example from Scripture? Whose story, what life can we look at that exemplifies 
integrity, this doing the right thing, even whenever it's really hard. First Kings chapter nine, I'm going to start in verse one. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord in the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Verse 4, here we go. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David, your father, walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David, your father, saying you will not lack a man on the throne of Israel. This, this uh, scripture continues saying, but if you turn away, if you don't do what I've commanded, if you don't walk in this integrity and uprightness, the, the flip side of that, the reverse of what's going to happen, of that you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be a byword and a proverb. You're going to be a sign for others to see of what terrible things happen whenever you don't follow the Lord. So again, what I want to focus in on here is that the Lord even is speaking to Solomon, David's son, He's speaking to Solomon and saying, if you walk in integrity of heart and uprightness, as David, your father, did, then these are the blessings that are going to come. They're generational blessings to continue to bless him. And so this leads me to looking to King David as a picture of integrity, looking to King David as integrity here. And now here's where, before we get into this, there's a story that I want to talk about from King David that I think exemplifies his integrity that he walked with. But before we get into it, I want to highlight a little something about King David. He's talked about as a man of integrity here. King David messed up. King David had problems. King David sinned. And so again, I want to come back real quick to this hypocrisy thing. And so many people who let hypocrisy or hypocrites stand between them and God and that be a criticism I I want what you hear this morning to be encouraging that you can, you and I, we can walk in integrity even if we've messed up. Even if we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God as, spoiler alert, everyone has. Even if we've done that, we can still walk in integrity and an uprightness of heart just as King David did. So integrity does not mean always doing perfectly all the time. Integrity, as we'll see here in a little bit, is very well associated with humility and brokenness of heart, a contrite spirit that David walked with. Uh, Integrity is connected to that. But there is hope, there is opportunity for the sinner and the messed up to be a person of integrity. Somebody, thank you, Jesus, say amen if you know that you've messed up and you know that you can be a problem sometimes. I'm preaching to myself right now. I can be a problem sometimes, but there's still opportunity, there's still hope for me, just as King David, to be a person of integrity. So here's here's the episode that I want to look at of King David. This is really, really beautiful. I'm sorry that it's taken me so long to get here, but here we are. A story of King David in 2 Samuel chapter 16. 2 Samuel chapter 16. The King David just blows me away right here of doing the right thing, doing a good thing, showing uprightness in the midst of something really, really hard, a really difficult situation that he's going through. And again, I want to just like kind of echo a little bit there whenever God was uh, talking to Solomon to walk in integrity of heart and uprightness. Again, that brings my mind to structural integrity, staying upright, staying solid. Uh, So here's a, a moment where King David was staying solid. Forgive me here. I like history. I like context. I'm going to set up the story just a little bit. King David, uh, where we see him right now, he is on the run from Jerusalem. He has exited town in a hurry because his son, his own son, heir apparent to the throne, has his name is Absalom. His son Absalom has started a coup, a conspiracy to run David out of town to kick him out of the throne to kill him, to destroy him. So, backstory to the backstory, since, you know, I like that. 
Backstory to the backstory, Absalom is pretty upset with David uh, because there was a, a half-brother of Absalom named Amon, Amnon, who raped his sister. It wasn't okay. It was a very terrible thing. And Absalom avenged his sister. He killed this half-brother of his. And it was from that, you know, David was angry about the first thing, but as far as Absalom could see, David didn't do much about it. And so Absalom kills this brother of his, and he goes on the run. He's exiled. And then uh, David's advisors encourage him, hey, let Absalom come back. Let him live at peace. And David, you can see in this story, he really loves Absalom. He cares about him, uh, even in the midst of all of this turmoil that's going on. And so Absalom is able to return back to Jerusalem. But what Absalom starts to do is he starts to meet people at the city gates as they're coming to see the king. He starts to meet them at the city gate. And he says, hey, wait, you got a problem? David's a little too busy for you. Let me handle it for you. Uh, and he gives everybody a good ruling. He's like, oh, yes, go. It doesn't say specifics. But your request is granted. He, he starts to make friends with everybody in the kingdom, intercepting them before they can come to David. And then he... Uh, you know, conspiracy. He is untruthful, deceitful. He tells David, hey, I need to go to this place and worship. I need to offer my sacrifices to the Lord. But what he actually does is he tells everyone, when the trumpet blows, you need to say Absalom is king. So he makes it kind of like this self-promoting, self-created coronation ceremony for himself. So Absalom goes and does that, tricks a lot of people into his side and declaring him king. David's told of this, and Absalom's coming back into Jerusalem. David chooses to leave town in a hurry. One, because he thinks Absalom's going to destroy him. But another thing, he doesn't want the city to be destroyed through some kind of civil war. So he, you could say, is taking the high road, leaving town. But he is very distressed, very distraught. He's being kicked out of his own kingdom by his own son, who is conspiring against him, who's lying about him, who's uh, trying to tear him down. Uh, whenever we talk about fracture, earlier, you know, structural integrity. Fracture, there's some fracturing that has happened here. Deformation, pressure. David's under a lot of pressure. Fatigue. We'll see even in this story, he is fatigued. And here's what David comes across. As he's leaving town, as he's on his way out of Jerusalem, he goes up the Mount of Olives, and he, which is just outside of town, and now he's on the other slope of the Mount of Olives, leaving town, fleeing from his own kingdom and his own son. This is where David is. So in 2 Samuel 16, verse 5, when King David came to Baharim, that's on the other side of the Mount of Olives, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and at the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Shimei, I would say, is not being very nice here. Scripture talks about uh, the enemy, the devil, being the accuser of the brethren. And that's what I'm reminded of as Shimei is talking to David here. Accuser. Get out of here. In, insult to injury as David is on his way out of town saying, Get out of here, you dog, you man of blood. Get out. We don't want you here anymore. Uh, if you are on David's team, if you're one of the David guys, just imagine for a second what you would like to do to Shimei. Okay, now that you've got that picture in your mind, let's keep reading. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, that's my pronunciation, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. Is that at all similar to what you imagined in your mind? That was his idea. Let me go take off his head. But the king, listen for integrity here. This is, this is where this just struck me. But the king said, What have I to do with you, 
you sons of Zeruiah. If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, behold, my son, my son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan and there he refreshed himself. Here I see David very much under the pressures of life, under fracturing, under deformation and the pressure that causes that, under fatigue. Again, here he says, they arrived weary at the Jordan and there he refreshed himself. Weary, heavy laden on this journey away from his own kingdom, from his own son. And here comes this Shimei dog. Insult to injury cursing him as he goes, flinging dust, throwing stones at him as he goes. Just vitriol spewing out of him at King David. And King David's response, of course, his friends are like, okay, time to cut this guy's head off. They've killed people in the past for David and for the anointed one. And his response here is just so, to me, it speaks of integrity. It speaks of an uprightness, a soundness, a completeness even within himself to to have this kind of response to this shimmy-eyed dog because he says let him curse maybe he's speaking the words of the lord and if he is who are we to tell him not to he accepts david was a man of great humility david was a man of great self-awareness He prayed prayers like, God, if there be any wicked way in me, try me, know that, reveal that to me. Keep me from sins that I don't know about, that I'm not seeing yet. He prays those kinds of prayers. He searches his own heart so much to try to be this person of integrity that does right even whenever the situation around him is difficult, even whenever his mind might deceive him into thinking that, well, this is the right way to go. Well, no, this is just how I feel like doing it right now. I'm sure David wanted to cut this guy's head off. That's a guess. That's not, don't take that to the hermeneutical bank. But that's just my guess, is that David also wanted to do what Abishai was wanting to do, to cut his head off. But he says, no, in the same attitude of God, try me, know my heart, see me, and and let me be pure in heart. He says, no, let him say it. Let him say it. If he's speaking the word of the Lord, we can't come against him anyway. But if he's not, maybe the Lord will see this and he will repay me good for the evil that I'm enduring right now. What soundness of heart, what soundness of mind, what soundness of character that King David had here. And again, I I told you earlier that David is a, a, a messed up person too. He sinned. He did wrong. This was not long after he had killed the guy so that he could try to cover up the the shame that he had done with this man's wife. And he had gone whenever the Lord confronted him about that. You can read Psalm 51 of David's prayer in response to that, of just asking, begging God to create a clean heart in him even in the middle of all the wrong that he's done. That integrity, it's not being a perfect person, but it's being of a perfect heart before the Lord, knowing I've done wrong, but God, I need you to make me right. Having a humility. David's integrity here is connected to humility, his humility before the Lord. In the prophet Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2 verse 4 says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright within him. Again, structural integrity, uprightness. In pride, when we're in pride, our soul is not upright. 
when we are in pride, whenever we think that we can handle it on our own, when we can do it ourselves, whenever we think that our righteousness is of our own doing, and we're really proud of all the times that we go to church, and we're really proud and excited about all the times that we read our Bible, and we're really proud and excited about all the good things that we do, that we have done, that we can conjure up for ourselves. Whenever our pride is set on that, our soul is not upright within us. Our soul is not structurally sound. And please hear me. I'm not telling you not to come to church. I'm not telling you not to read your Bible. I'm not telling you not to do right. Of course, these are things that we should be doing. But our righteousness is not dependent upon that. Uh, We don't hang our hat on that. We hang our hat on the righteousness and the goodness of Jesus Christ, who is good whenever we can't be good, who endures whenever we are running out of steam, who is generous whenever we feel greedy. We hang our hat on the righteousness and the goodness of Jesus. And in so doing, that heart of humility is a heart of integrity that is upright, that is structurally sound, that is not going to collapse under the weight of fatigue, under the weight of deformation and pressure, and under the weight of fracturing whenever life brings those things to us. So it's this heart of humility that David had before the Lord that was a heart of integrity that leads to his uprightness. To be able to say, maybe he's right. Let him curse if he is. And if he's wrong, God will take care of that. Check this out. It's easy to fast forward in the Bible. You just flip pages. We're going to fast forward to chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter 19. The fast forwarded version is things come full circle. Absalom's conspiracy fails. He dies. David is returned to... Uh, to Jerusalem, and he's declared king again, as he always was. But now the people just know it again. And enter Shimei the dog, singing a different tune. Second Samuel chapter 19, verse 16. And Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Baharim. Like, okay, this is the guy. Hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and his 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan and said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty. Or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart. All those stones that I threw and the mean things I said. Don't let him take it to heart. For your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first. I'm the first one of all the house of Joseph to come down to meet my lord the king. Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? Abishai has still got the same goals. But David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king gave him this oath. Even after things come full circle, I'm telling you, integrity from King David. Because maybe on my way out of Jerusalem, I'd be like, okay, we'll give this guy a pass. We're kind of in the loser's bracket right now. I get it. But when I come back to Jerusalem, the first guy I'm looking at is Shimei. Hey, you. Where's the stones? Where's the dust? You know, where are the, all the mean words you said about me? Now he comes back very repentant, very, I'm the first one to come say I'm sorry, King David. And here, I love, okay, so we connected integrity to humility. David's humility before the Lord is connected to his integrity. Right here, what I love, I love how he says this to Abishai. He says, uh, shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that this day I am king over Israel. His integrity also came out of this connection with his identity, knowing who he was. 
David came to this situation thinking, I don't have anything to prove to Shimei. I don't have anything to prove to Abishai. I don't have anything to prove to myself. I don't have anything to prove to the people. I am the king. I know that I'm the king. And if I'm the king, then why should, why should this person die here? Don't I know that I'm this day king over Israel? Him knowing, being connected with his identity so much led him to be this structurally sound, upright person of integrity. You and I, y'all, if we know hypocrisy becomes a thing of the past if we're connected to our identity in Jesus Christ, if we're connected to our identity and what God says about us as him calling us a son and a daughter, if, if he's called us his own children, heirs to his kingdom, his goodness, why should there be anything in us that wants to be hypocritical? What do we have to prove to ourselves or to the people around us? What do we, what do we have to prove if you know that you're a daughter of the Most High God or if you know that you're a son of the Most High God? This uprightness that, that David had came so much out of his identity, knowing I'm the king. I don't have anything to prove to anybody. I'm the king. And here's where I want to leave us. Because, again, the temptation on a day like this would be to say, integrity is one of our values. Go be a person of integrity. Go do the right thing. And yeah, that's an element of it here. But may we never come to church on a Sunday morning. May we never gather together as God's people and not be reminded of our own personal inability to just execute the life that God's called us to live without his grace. So more than this being a message to say, hey, go be a person of integrity, I want this to be a message that says, go throw yourselves at the feet of Jesus Christ, who is the most, is integrous a word? Integ- we'll Google it later, but but Jesus, who exemplified the most integrity of anyone, who, who lived this out, who is the most structurally sound, who is the most upright, who is the solid rock that we build our lives on, more than just saying, go be a person of integrity, yes, of course, but go find yourself in the grace of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, find the humility and the identity that you need to actually be a person of great integrity. And so I want to look at, if we come back to uh, doing what's right whenever it's really hard, if we want to look at someone who did the right thing, who was structurally sound, was a person of integrity, even in the middle of fracturing, in the middle of pressure, in the middle of fatigue, I want to find Jesus on that same Mount of Olives that David was on the slopes of whenever he had this interaction with Shimei. Jesus who also was finding himself in the middle of a great conspiracy against his rightful kingdom. Jesus, who, who also found himself being ridiculed, or at least he was on his way to be really ridiculed and taken advantage of and mocked. Jesus here in Luke chapter 22, verse 39 is where I'll start. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. What we know is that Jesus went from that moment to be turned over to the religious people of the day turned over to the Roman Empire, turned over to be crucified. Again, if we look at a correlation between him and David, this great conspiracy to take the kingdom from him, Jesus, the rightful heir of God's kingdom here on earth, 
People think that they're taking it from him, trying to rob him even of his own life. Little did they know that just as David was going to be on his way back to Jerusalem with victory and with power and the kingship in his hands, Jesus was not going to be held down by death either. He wasn't going to be held down by death. He was going to come back completely victorious with every single, again, that that name that is above every other name that everyone's going to bow to, everyone's going to confess. It wasn't done there. And in this moment, this hard, harsh, pressured, fractured, fatigued moment of Jesus, he has the the integrity, the strength, the uprightness to pray this prayer to the Father, yet not my will, but yours be done. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And he receives strength even from an angel in that moment to go and do this hard thing that the Father had called him and asked him to do. Y'all, if we're going to be a church of integrity, if we're going to be people of integrity, there are hard things for us to do. It is not easy to live a life for God in this world. It's not easy to be a person of integrity. Jesus did not tell us that it would be. He didn't give us a great comforter in the Holy Spirit unless we would need comforting from something. You need comfort when things are hard, when things are difficult. And Jesus being this ultimate picture of integrity in the, most, in the hardest, in the most difficult moments, in the most pressurized, most fatigued, tired moments imaginable, Jesus stood and said, yet not my will, but yours be done. And from the strengthening ministered to him, he went and took our death on the cross, took our punishment, and rose to life again, victorious, bringing us into that kingdom. So you and I, we might be coming to Jesus this morning more like a Shimei than like a David. Saying, man, I've turned my back on you before. I might as well have been throwing stones at you, shaking dust off at you, ridiculing you, criticizing you. Maybe you've never been exactly like the the Pharisees and the religious people on that day hurling insults. But maybe with the way that we've lived our lives at different points, it might as well be like a slap in the face to Jesus for what he's done. And coming back to him repentant, throwing ourselves at his mercy, saying we've done wrong, but here we are. Jesus, even more than King David, is ready to forgive, ready to extend mercy, ready to show love, because he knows he's the king. He knows he's right. He knows he's the savior, and he knows our frailty, and he loves us anyway. So I want to do this. If you would, bow your heads. Close your eyes. I just want an opportunity right now to respond to the Lord. If the Spirit is speaking to you right now, I want to create an opportunity for you to just say yes to Jesus. Maybe you found yourself this morning, uh, and whenever I talk about integrity, whenever I talk about not being a hypocrite, being structurally sound, maybe all kinds of conviction is coming from that of just, I have not been living this way. I've not been doing this. I've not been structurally sound. There's something that is not upright and not, not correct in me. And you just want to throw yourself at the feet and mercy of Jesus. You just want to confess that to him, speak that to him, and, and, and find his integrity where your strength is left. If that's you and you, you want me to know that, you want me to pray with you, I'm not going to showcase this to everyone in the church, but I just, I want to see your hand. I want to know who I'm praying with. If that's you and you just want to come to Jesus, repentant and asking for, for his strength and his uprightness, would you raise your hand? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I see it. God, you're good. He is calling us to be people of integrity. But the good thing about our wonderful God is that he doesn't call us to anything that he's not right there with us to to see it through. He doesn't call us to integrity and then leave us on our own to figure it out. Our God is a God of integrity, of strength, of character. He's sound, he's stable, and he's always there with us. I'm going to pray right now, especially I want you to know if you raise your hand there, I'm speaking specifically over you, praying over you if you just received this. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you, God, that you're loving, that you're kind, that you're forgiving. We thank you, God, that you are strong even when we're weak. We thank you, God, that you endure whenever we're at the end of our rope. We thank you, God, that you love whenever we find ourselves hating or resenting. And Lord, we ask for your integrity to show up in our lives. We ask for you to give us the grace to be strong. Give us the humility that we need. Reveal to us our identity in you, God. Help us to continually find our strength in you. Lord, I speak over everyone in this room, especially those who have raised their hands, Lord, in just a repentant heart this morning. God, I thank you that, that you would restore unto them the joy of your salvation. That you restore unto them that, that strength that can only be found in your presence and in your goodness. We thank you for it, God. I pray that you would give each and every one of us grace. You would give us grace as a church to walk in integrity, walk in uprightness. Lord, where we've gone wrong, speak to us. Give us hearts of repentance. Where we've done right, give us a heart of humility to continue to trust you for the grace to keep doing that. Help us, God, to follow you. And as we walk in integrity, I thank you that it would be a light in darkness. I thank you that it would be a city on a hill that people would see that integrity and not see a good church of do-gooders, but they would see a God of integrity, a God of strength, a God of love and of steadfastness, and that they would glorify you, our Father in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. We've got a good God this morning. Amen. As we're dismissed now, I want to welcome our, our ministry teams up to the front. We'll have people here at the front to pray for you. If you have need of anything, uh, come to the Father, come to the Lord, and receive some agreement from your brothers and sisters uh, for what it is that you need prayer for. But other than that, we're going to be dismissed. If you would stand, I want to speak one last blessing over you, that the Lord would direct each and every one of our hearts, that the Lord would direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You all be blessed.